Welcome to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Mission Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, the Bread of Life. You can learn more about our work by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we continue looking into the life of the prophet Elijah. We consider now the manner in which Elijah prayed for rain. It is a manner we must learn to adopt if we would have God hear our prayers. The first thing we note is that what consumes the prayers that God answers is a desire for God to be glorified above everything else. Well, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18, and just so you know, at the very beginning of 1 Kings chapter 18, it begins with God telling Elijah to go show himself to Ahab in that very first verse, because it says, I am going to send rain upon the face of the earth. There's been a drought for three and a half years, and God says, I'm going to bring an end to this drought, and I'm going to pour out rain. And so, basically, beginning of chapter 18 begins with God giving Elijah a promise. And what does Elijah do with that promise? He immediately prays for its fulfillment, or he responds, eventually, I should say, by praying for its fulfillment. And, and as we noted in our message last week, even things promised, no, actually what we said is, especially things promised must be prayed for. We said that the great need for the church and the Christian in the day and age that we live in, in order that we might have power in prayer, is to get the promises of God in our hearts as the one thing that we desire and we long for above everything else. The promises of God reflect God's interest in people. They reflect God's interest in his people, but they also reflect God's great interest in his own glory. God wants to be magnified and glorified, and his promises reveal the manner and the way in which God wants to express his supreme glory and majesty in our lives. And so when a man or a woman has a heart that above all things longs that God would be glorified, they grab hold of the promises of God and long to see them fulfilled. If you have a minimal interest in the promises of God, if that doesn't captivate your heart and that doesn't become a focus of your longing and your desires, I'll tell you what, you have a minimal interest in the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you sing or what you say. If you're not grabbing hold of God's promises saying, God, this, I want this, reveals that what you don't want as well is you don't want God to be magnified and glorified because it's through those promises that God has revealed how it is he wants to bring glory to himself. One of the greatest expressions of an intercessor in the Bible is the man Moses. As you follow the life of Moses, you see that Moses was a profound man of prayer and that he interceded for his nation. And it was on the basis of his prayers that God answered and God preserved the people of Israel and God fulfilled promises that he made to them. What you'll also find about Moses is that above everything else, what Moses wanted to see and to experience in his life and to have his people experience was the glory of God. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, you'll find a request that Moses makes, which, by the way, young men and young women, will be the most important request you can ever ask of God. You ought to read it and find it. There, basically, God says to Moses, you have found favor in my eyes. And Moses says, listen, if I have found favor in your eyes, if there's any extent at which I brought pleasure to you, God, 
show me your glory. What Moses wanted more than anything else was to have a revelation to his heart and his mind and his soul of the magnitude of the greatness and the majesty and the glory of God. I remember as a young man reading through my Bible and reading that request of Moses and deciding that that's the request I was going to make of God myself. And so actually I incorporated into my prayers so that every single night I ended my prayer with, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me in your majesty and your power. It's the right longing. It's the right thing to desire. And it's a, a desire that, by the way, puts you on a trajectory of obedience and it puts you on a trajectory in which you grab hold of the promises of God and pray in the lives of other people. Now we're in Exodus 34. He's asked God in the end of Exodus 33 to show him his glory. And God answers and says, I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you and I'm going to proclaim my name before you. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, God begins to answer this prayer of Moses to see his glory. Now Moses is on Mount Sinai, and this is what we read in verse 6 of Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sins, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Then we read that Moses quickly bowed to the ground and worshipped. We'll come to the book of Numbers in 14. You might turn there. It's sometime after this first presentation of God's glory to Moses on Mount Sinai, this revelation or answer to Moses' request Now Moses has traveled with the people of Israel, being led by a pillar of fire by night and being led by a cloud by the daytime, God's Shekinah presence leading the people, hovering over the tabernacle that's been built. And they come to the edge of the wilderness in Kadesh Barnea and they come before the promised land. Actually, it's in the wilderness of Zin. And here God calls them to go into the promised land And they send in spies to scout out the promised land. And if you recall, 10 of the spies come back, which which is called an evil report. It's a really great place, but we don't want to go there because the people are bigger and stronger than us. And we won't be able to deal with them and they'll destroy us. And two of the spies are Joshua and Caleb. And they say, no, no, God has called us to go in and God will give us a victory. And just as God has led us to this point by his miraculous power, he'll lead us into victory. And it's theirs for the taking. Let's go in. Let's be obedient. The people listen to the ten who give the evil report and not to the two, and they refuse to go in. And not only that, because they don't like this being pushed into a place where they feel they're going to be destroyed, they begin to debate taking up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb to death for trying to prompt them into their obedience. At that point, we're told that the glory of the Lord fires out from the tabernacle, and God speaks to Moses, and God basically says this, And we'll read this in verses 11 and 12. Numbers 14. How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe in me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I'll strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. God says to Moses, I'll make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now at this point, Moses prays. And he prays and he intercedes on the behalf of these rebellious people. And he remembers the glory that he's seen 
in God's revelation to himself. And he recalls the promises that God has made for the people of Israel. And he prays according to those promises and according to the glory that God has showed him. And look at verses 13 through 19. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, which he promised to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even up to this point or until now. You see how he prays? He prays with his heart set upon the glory of God and the promises of God on behalf of the people of God. How do you pray? Well, you seek God's glory. You see God's glory. You want God to be glorified before all others. And holding this in your heart, you long for God's promises to be fulfilled and you pray in that way, you pray for them. So last week what we learned is that we should pray with the foundation of Christ's sacrifice before us. We should pray upon the foundation of God's promises and we should pray with a passion for God's glory. That's what we learned last week. Here we see it illustrated even in the life of Moses before us as well. Elijah now is going to pray for rain. And what we note now is the manner in which he prays. The, the manner in which, and we want to find some practical expressions on not simply what to pray, but the manner or the attitude or the expressions of our prayer. And this is what we're going to see in Elijah's prayer for rain. So now go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And let me read to you verses 41 through 45, and we'll consider these. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 through 45. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And so he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. We're going to learn the manner of prayer from this example of Elijah. And the first thing I want you to see from this passage right away is this. Here's the answer. How should we pray? What's the manner in which we should pray? And here's the first one. We should pray with a responsive faith to the sound of the coming of rain. We should pray with a responsive faith to the sound of the coming of rain. What sent Elijah to pray? He heard, 
he perceived the sound of the abundance of rain. He heard that sound of rain and he said to Ahab, you go do what you do best. You go up and eat. And then he himself went up to pray. So for us, what would be the sound of the abundance of rain? What would we get into our ears and into our hearts that might project us or lead us to pray? Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Let's say you're hearing the word expounded and you're with a gathering of people as in this place. And there are those occasions, I know it's happened, it doesn't happen every Sunday, but I know it happens when there's a clear impression that God is speaking and God's Spirit is settling upon us and He's communicating a truth that brings conviction to us. And you, in that moment in which God is clearly pointing by His Spirit the truth of the Word, convicting our hearts together, and you're aware of it, that sense of a holy hush. In that moment, I want you to to understand that what you're listening to at that moment is the sound of the abundance of rain. God is indicating that there's something He wants to do. And He's quieting your hearts in preparation for a response to what He's saying. And at that moment, what needs to happen is for you not to rush out to get something to eat. It's to go home or to go to your closet and find a place to go before God and say, God, yes, that. More of that. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org. Traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.